How many people here remember Bing Crosby and Bob Hope? And by remember, I don't mean like, I just mean like you've, you've, you've gone back and you've watched some of those old movies. They're still out there. In fact, my wife and I just determined we were going to um, binge watch, not like all in one evening, but like the Road 2 movies. The Road 2, there's like the Road to Rio, the Road to Zanzibar. There were seven of these done between 1942 and 1962. You thought there were a lot? There were. They were even going to do a seventh. In 1977, there was supposed to be a, a final Road 2, or at least the next installment of those. Uh, unfortunately, Bing Crosby died. It's really ironic when you know that the proposed title of that film, and I'm, I'm not making this up, was The Road to the Fountain of Youth. And then, yeah, Bing Crosby died. Awkward, awkward. Um, that has very little to do with my message today, except that, <laughs> except that, I couldn't help but think of those movies when I thought this week of what we're looking at. We're looking at a particular story involving one of those road twos in the scripture. Did you ever notice there's like a series of road twos in the Bible? Luke, in fact, seems to really like these because Luke is the one that told us about the road to Emmaus. You remember the two disciples walking with, and they were on the road. And where were they going? They were going to a place. It was Emmaus. And then you've got the, the famous one in the book of Acts, which we're about ready to get to, and that's the road to Damascus, yeah, with Paul's conversion story. And this is kind of a lesser known road to that's in front of us today, but it's the road to Gaza, the road to Gaza, and it is one of these very rich stories of Christ coming into someone's life, of conversion. In this story, we have another example of the boundaries of the gospel spreading out. This is kind of the whole point of the book of Acts. We said that at the beginning. We see that as bookends, that it's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is expanding. You see that happening here. And uh, no, we are not in identical uh, situations today as Philip was. For one thing, we're not evangelists by our calling. Most of us at least aren't. I know one or two people that tell me that that's their gift, uh, which is very cool. If that's your gift, I love that. That's not my uh, spiritual gift, but we need all the evangelists we can get. Most of us aren't, so we're not in that situation. We're not part of the company of the original apostles. Philip wasn't an apostle, but he was part of the seven that had been appointed by the apostles. Yet, I believe that we can take this story cautiously and make application to us, and that's what we're going to do. So the big idea today has to do with hitting the road. We want to rise and hit the gospel road. And by that I mean we ought to be in that same situation where we love the gospel. How many love the gospel? Yeah? Okay, good. Um, you know, if I ask husbands, do you love your wife? You might sheepishly hold up your hand because you know she's sitting next to you judging whether or not that's correct or not. Uh, <laughs> I love the gospel. But to love something means you treasure it and that you treasure it to the extent that you would give your life for it, work for it, go for it. So, so if we love the gospel, we'll be ready and willing to hit the road for the gospel. And I'll kind of fill out what that means as we go along. There's only nine points to today's sermon. How many like the, the, the big sermons with a lot of points? Because they move quickly. They feel like they're moving quickly. Yes? Okay. So first of all, God directs us to the road. God directs us to the road. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. 
How many had an angel send you to church today? I don't mean in a metaphorical sense, like a literal angel woke you up and said, get thee unto the road, unto grace community. Nobody, nobody had that? Neither did I. That would be very cool, but that's not, that's not what, but most of us don't experience that. But Philip did. Philip knows that the Lord has sent him on this road to, to Gaza, uh, which, by the way, this was a road that would have taken you to Gaza, but then on beyond Gaza, it would have gotten you to Africa. Oh, mercy. God bless. Um, it would have gotten you to Gaza, to Egypt. It would have taken you even further down into the continent of Africa. It was the last rest stop, if you will. It was kind of, have you ever been on one of those roads and it says, you know, this is the last rest stop for 50 miles and you think, I can make it 50 miles. You're going through New Mexico, last rest stop, just give up and go back right now. That's what the sign says. Um, no more on the, no more in this state. Um, yeah, that's kind of what Gaza was. It was the last place for water on the journey. Uh, Philip knew with no room for doubt that God had put him on. And that's helpful, isn't it, when you know beyond any doubt there were better roads in the land of Israel. There were roads that took you to much nicer places. But this was the road that God had placed him on. God was saying, go. He didn't know yet what was at the end of it, but he knew God was sending him. Are we called to a road, per se? Uh, perhaps we won't hear God speaking to us. I'm going to guess that most of us won't. How, if you're getting a divine map app, in your daily life, there's probably something wrong with you. <laughs> like if, if, if literally at any point you hear a voice saying, turn left, 20 miles straight. If that's happening, that you might want to see a doctor. Most of us are not getting explicit instructions on that level, but are we not all, with, with Christ's purposes in our life, are we not all on a road that God has established? If you think of a road as a way or a means, then we can say that we are all called to ways of living and ways of communicating the gospel message. Yes? Do you agree with that? We're all different. We have different gifting, but we're all on a God-appointed road. As we live in that obedience to that, we will find different ways that God has determined that we will end up sharing the gospel. I read this week about a, a, a series of uh, in fact, I think, um, I want to say, Scott, that the, the books that you picked up just recently on, uh, on those children's books, and I read a little thing uh, on Shally's uh, website, and, and these people said, we were looking for children's books that really just communicated the gospel in a fresh way to children. And so we wrote these books, and I thought, that, is, that just fits my sermon, because in some way, if you don't think of a road literally necessary, we should all be pursuing ways, avenues, means, pathways by which we can share the gospel. Secondly, we rise and go. Verse 27, Philip rose and went. And you're thinking, yeah, well, if God tells you to go somewhere, you would do it, right? You remember a guy named Jonah? <laughs> it doesn't always work. So you got to give Philip credit. Philip is eager. He puts his feet to the, to the road. And this is not an easy road. We're talking about 60 miles. That's about the length of the journey. This would be like you getting on one of the dirt roads and staying on the dirt roads and walking to Hutchinson, you know, like in July when it's 100 degrees out. This, this was not an, this was not a, an easy uh, thing, but, but Philip has such a great heart, doesn't he? 
How many remember how it is that Philip was the person appointed to share the gospel with the Samaritans? Do you remember me talking about that? Do you remember how the apostles set him apart and lay? It didn't say that in the text, did it? Now, it doesn't mean it didn't happen. I'm not saying it couldn't have happened. It could have. Maybe Luke just left that out. But Luke gives us no indication that Philip had anyone tell him, now, Philip, you need to go and you need to share the gospel with the Samaritans. But he wants to see the gospel come to the Samaritans. And, and Christ had said that he was going to take the gospel first from Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria. And Philip, as the church is being scattered, says, man, I'm, I'm the guy. I'm, I'm going to do that. He's like Isaiah. You remember when Isaiah was called, that, uh, that Isaiah said, here I am, send me? I would like to suggest just by way of application that, that we would seek that kind of heart attitude to hitting the road for the sake of the gospel in our lives. Whatever that might, it's just that willingness, that willingness to say, God, Man, I, I love the gospel. I want to see the gospel go in every little nook and cranny, but I know I can't personally go to every little nook and cranny, so you're going to have to show me where, where that is, but I am willing. I, I want to see the gospel find its pathway. If that's writing children books, children's books, great. If it's my husband or my wife, then, then, then I'll do that. If it's becoming a mentor, uh, we do have a mentor program here, a little pitch for that. Because uh, how, many, how many places and ways do you have to connect with people where you have a chance to just put into someone's life and, and share the gospel with them? A wonderful, wonderful opportunity. That is a little pitch for that. Or maybe it's going to the Dream Center today and, and, and serving food to the homeless, whatever it might be. It's that willingness to say, God, I'm willing. Remember me asking you earlier, do you love the gospel? And you went, yes, yes. Do you love the gospel? Do you love it? Do you love people? People not so much. Gospel really, you know, no. Pe- some, some people are hard to love. So you gotta have at least those two things going. You know, you love the gospel, you love people. And then it's, it's, it's having a heart like Philip, where Philip's like, yeah, okay. Where do you want me to go? Here I am, send me. And for us, maybe the application today is to take that and start praying about it. Are you willing to just pray for that, first of all? Lord, I'm, I'm not a very willing par- participant. I have not been very willing. To, I've not done what I need to do. We're talking in our ABF today about the fact that the one thing you won't be able to do in heaven is lead someone to Christ. You will not be able to lead a sinner to Christ when you're in eternity. The time for sharing the gospel and experiencing that, that readiness of the gospel, is now. It's now. God has prepared people on the road. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you're sharing the gospel with someone and it was just clear that, man, this is a, what we call a divine appointment? Are you familiar with that phrase, a divine appointment? How many have ever experienced what you felt like was a divine appointment where you were like, yeah, isn't that cool? I remember some missionaries sharing with me once. They were, they were missionaries to, to Muslims. They'd gone to Turkey, and they were in their language study in their first year. They weren't even on the field. They were just learning the language. I've, probably, I've told this story before, but they were in their apartment one day, and there was a little knock at the door because it was a little hand, and it, the two little girls from the apartment above them, and I don't even know if they'd met at this point, but they said, can you tell us about Jesus? <laughs> and they're like... 
yeah, why would you ask? And they're like, well, we had a dream. Now, that's weird when anybody says, we had a dream. Um, have you ever been able to say, we had a dream? <laughs> but we had a dream. They, they had had a dream where Jesus appeared to them and said, now, you need to go downstairs to your apartments down below you because they'll tell you about Jesus. They're like, wow, that gives me goosebumps. Doesn't often happen that way. I would say nine times out of ten, it feels way more normal, but God, in fact, has people ready. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, this might not be exactly how you picture it. First of all, um, just a little clarification. Ethiopia today, where they draw the boundaries, is not the Ethiopia that they were going to. Ethiopia and Somalia are next to each other. It's actually Somalia, current day Somalia, that they were going to. The other, the other thing, though, that really throws us off here is the word chariot. What do you picture in your mind when I say the word chariot? Like the Ten Commandments, Yule Brenner, you know, and his chariot is Pharaoh, or maybe Ben-Hur, that's a good, you have the chariot race. Kind of a trash can with two wheels. One guy standing it, there's enough room for one guy to stand in the trash can and be pulled by a big team of horses. That's what we, we picture. But that's not what's going on here. You'll know that from the story as you read and you put two and two together. Like there's the, first of all, there's the eunuch and he's sitting in the chariot. And then he gives orders to stop the chariot, which means there's somebody to take orders. And then there's Philip getting up into the chariot. So this is much bigger than a trash can. And, and it's capable of, of being, so it, uh, picture a wagon. It may, it may be a two-wheeled wagon, but it's more like a wagon. It also had to have enough provisions for a five-month journey because that's uh, said to be how long the journey was. Here's what we would be able to uh, say without fear of, of contradiction. He was black. He was an African man. He was a eunuch, which means exactly what you probably thought it meant. That is to say he had been neutered. Um, that's just probably the nicest word I can put into that phrase, but he'd been neutered in order to uh, work in the presence of the queen. He was an important official. More importantly, in some way, shape, or form, he was Jewish. Yeah, I mean, through, through intermarriage, perhaps, or maybe he was a proselyte, so-called proselyte, that he'd come to Judaism. He might have been on the verge of that, but that is to say he might have been what was, one would call a God-fearer, but, but he, he'd gone up to Jerusalem to worship. He was, he was a motivated person. He had a strong attraction, such a strong attraction to the God of the Hebrews that he traveled all that way. Again, five-month journey. Not necessarily at his own cost. We don't know whether that was funded by the, by the queen, but anyway, it was a long pilgrimage. In the sovereignty of God, when the Jewish people were dispersed, they went throughout the world of that day, throughout the then-known civilized world. That took them to parts of Europe and Asia, um, Asia Minor, but also into Africa, North Africa in particular. And from this story, we realized not only North Africa, but they actually got into kind of the heart of the con continent in places like Ethiopia. And this man is prepared, isn't he? How prepared is he? He's, he? He already knows who the God of the Hebrews is. 
He's gone to, he has the ability to read. That's not something everybody had at the time. He has had the money, whether it was the queen's money, and it was like, I'm going to buy you some stuff for your library. I don't know. Maybe it was his own money, but he had purchased a scroll. These were not cheap. This would have been a very expensive purchase. Written in Hebrew, perhaps written in Greek, he was able to read that. So this guy is, is prepared. This is phenomenally prepared. I'll just say at this point, God has people prepared for you. You just don't know it yet. We have to put ourselves out there in order to find those prepared people. If we don't have eyes, if we're not praying about it, we probably won't see it. They are prepared people. Spirit leads us to those people. The Spirit leads us to those people. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. We don't know if that was an audible voice, like somebody standing over here, or whether it was a voice that he heard inside of his head. Um, But isn't it interesting how the Spirit is engaged in this, as is the Father and the Son. You see all three persons of the Trinity in our text today. The Father, through the, Spirit, through the angel of the Lord, sends him. The Holy Spirit guides him. The message is the message of Jesus. Also, it's interesting, the same Spirit who did not get involved initially or did not seem involved when Philip preached to the Samaritans. You remember that? We're like, what happened? Oh, well, he only baptized in the name of Jesus. No, that was, it wasn't that he failed to baptize in the correct formula. It was that there was a very set reason the Holy Spirit was guarding the church against division, and so he didn't come initially on the Samaritans. But here there's no indication of that, is there? Is there any failure or shortcoming in this conversion story that you can see? Isn't this a full conversion story? So presumably the Holy Spirit descends, works through Philip, does this, brings the guy, and, and the guy receives the Holy Spirit through, the, through what happens. Now, can we simply glom onto this ourselves and, make, and take this for ourselves? Can we say that the Holy Spirit leads us to do evangelism and, and that he leads us in the work of evangelism? Are we free to say that? You're like, I don't want to risk saying the wrong thing. Yeah, we can say that. Of course we can say that. Acts chapter 1, 8 talks about the role of the Holy Spirit, that it's through the Holy Spirit that we have boldness to witness to people. It is by the Holy Spirit, John chapter 3, that people are born again. So, of course, if, if we don't believe the Holy Spirit is leading us in evangelism, either we are really arrogant and probably not doing a very good job of evangelism, or maybe we just don't, we just don't recognize it, but the Holy Spirit is the one promised by Christ to do that work in us, and he is leading us in it. And sometimes that will feel miraculous, and sometimes it will feel ordinary, but it is, it is this, we can bank on that. In fact, if we don't bank on that, we probably won't do much evangelism. If you think by your strength that's how evangelism happens, you're not going to get very far. You just, it, it just won't. You have to rely on the fact that God is at work. God is preparing that. The Holy Spirit is at work in it. Next, the scripture is read on that road. <clears throat> so this is a longer portion of the passage. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. 
Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you, does this prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Do you ever read the scripture out loud? Don't be embarrassed. That's that's an old thing, right, where people used to try to embarrass people, shame people, like, don't read what, you know, you're moving your lips. That's sort of be like a symbol that you're stupid or something. It's a good thing. He's reading out loud. You should read out loud. Not every time you read the scripture, you don't have to open your mouth and move your lips, but it's, it's helpful for memory, and that's why they did it back in the day. Philip can hear the eunuch reading this from Isaiah 53. How many know Isaiah 53? I don't mean know like you've memorized it, but how many are aware of Isaiah 53 and kind of the content of Isaiah 53? Isaiah 53 is the most magnificent. If you're looking for one concentrated chapter of Scripture that just talks about Jesus Christ, it's Isaiah chapter 53. If you haven't read it, go home, open Isaiah, turn to chapter 53, read it for yourself this afternoon. If you're not familiar with the Old Testament and you know, but you've heard about Jesus and you know the basic storyline of the crucifixion and the burial and the resurrection of Christ, and you read Isaiah 53, you'll think it's from the New Testament. You'll be like, yeah, this had to have been written A.D. instead of 500 and some B.C., which is actually when it was written. It's it's, It's amazing. And it's funny how even to this day, many Jews who come to faith in Christ do so through this chapter. I don't know if you do this at all, but on, on YouTube there are, and I can't remember the name of the, of the channel, but it's just various Jewish people who have come to faith in Christ telling their story. And, if, and I love watching those. It just inspires me. Uh, but so often they'll say, yeah, um, I stumbled onto Isaiah 53. And then I went to my rabbi, and my rabbi says, we don't read that. You know, <laughs> Like, no, 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 stay away from that chapter. Don't read that chapter. I'm like, why not? Well, you know, you get the wrong idea. You read it, and you're like, no, this is talking about Jesus. This man is so ready and so, you know, on so many levels. Don't you, and don't you love his, his humble, you know, humility, his honesty? He's reading this passage, and I bet he's struggling at this point. Think about this for a moment. Again, he purchased that scroll. I'll bet he went there thinking, man, I'm going to buy some of the Old Testament. Whatever I can get my hands on, I'm going to buy it. And he probably saw this scroll. He's like, yes, I'm going to understand so much more when I read. How many of you have ever bought a Bible? You're like, I'm going to read the Bible now because i got a really good version of it. And you start reading, you're like, oh, man. <laughs> There's still so much of this I don't understand. He's riding along. He can't make sense of it. And up comes this whippersnapper. Um, Philip, I think he's young at this point. We'll find out later he gets married. So I think he's young. There's no... Philip, I mean, just you, 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 you should work on your delivery. Do you understand what you're reading? Like, hey, dummy. Is that making any sense to you there? You know, not, <laughs> thick noggin that you have? Most people, I mean, I had somebody this week in an email say something to me, and I thought, you must think I'm an idiot. And I felt really offended. If I were this guy, I think I would have said, well, of course I understand. What do you think, I'm a moron? I mean, even if I didn't, I would have been tempted to lie and go, yeah, I'm making pretty good sense of it. I think think I'll get through it. I got five months after all to sit here and work through it. Just leave me alone. How many would do that? I, I mean, our pride. But, but this guy's like, how, well, how could I understand it? Unless somebody guides me. I mean, it's just, it's practically an invitation. 
Isaiah is talking here about the suffering servant. Again, go home today, read this chapter. There's so much in it that speaks of Jesus. Here he's, in this section that we have from Isaiah 53, he's talking about the fact that he was like a sheep that was led to the slaughter. We think about John's words, you know, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God had this man ready. The Holy Spirit is at work leading and, and, and bringing this all together. But what you need in addition is you need the scriptures, don't you? It, it is by way of the scriptures that we share the gospel. Can God use miraculous things like a dream to get people to a certain point? Absolutely. I was having this discussion recently with someone. We were talking about different forms of how you do apologetics and stuff like that. And, and the plain and simple fact is that when you hear 100 testimonies, you will hear 100 different ways that people go from here to here. But then when they get to here, they need this. The scriptures have to be open. Philip is there, and he's ready to go. And we need, to, we need to be able to open the scripture, don't we? Does this mean you need to be, how, how many are going to go on and become Bible scholars? I mean, I know Austin is, and, and I know Peyton is, but any of the rest of you intending to become Bible scholars? Okay, Carrie's going to become a Bible scholar. All right, but the rest of you, and me, um, you know, I don't think of myself as a Bible scholar, we, but we need to be in the scripture. Don't wait for the Bible, because people will use that as an excuse not to witness. Like, well, I'm just not there yet. You know? Use what you've got. Learn. Read Isaiah 53, and if nothing else, you could say, well, I don't know much about this Old Testament thing, but I'm going to turn to Isaiah 53. We can look at that together. So open the Scripture. In fact, on this next point, we have to open our mouths, the Scripture, and the good news. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the Scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. So do you see that? That is pretty easy there, right? Mouth open, scripture open, the gospel opens, the points are, you know, are connected. The gospel that we're talking about is that gospel of the good news of a Savior. And here he's represented as that lamb. He's represented as the one who is cut off by that generation. You know, who can speak of his generation? That's a weird phrase. Who can speak of his generation? What it's saying is, is who can say anything good about his generation, that is the generation of people into which he is born and lives, because look at what they do. They cut him off. Justice is denied him. He is put to death for sinners. And, that, and from there, Philip preaches to him the good news. And how, much, how good must the good news have sounded to this guy? I'll tell you a little secret. Do you know what the Old Testament says about eunuchs? It says they're not to come into the temple of God. They were forbidden from that. They could go to the temple, and he probably was left out there in the court of the Gentiles. So he could approach the, the, the temple, but he couldn't go in where a normal Jewish man, because of what had been done to him. Think about that. He had a hunger for God. He wanted to be in connection with God, but he was held at a distance from coming near to God. And here's Philip preaching the good news. The good news that the writer of Hebrews says, you know, he, the writer of Hebrews talks about the law and how the law was ineffectual at bringing us near God. It could tell us our sin. 
It could show us what holiness looked like. It could, it could depict the holiness of God in a way like, yeah, you can't come near this God. But it was Christ. It was through Christ, our high priest, that we are able to actually approach and come near to God. What had to happen here on the part of Philip sharing on that road was not impossibly hard. Do you see that? The, how, how difficult? Could you have done this? What, what Philip did? Well, don't shake your head no. How hard was it, really? God put you in a place. You hear this guy literally reading Isaiah 53. You're like, hey, do you want to know more? Yeah, sure, okay. You start in Isaiah 53. You go, uh, yeah, Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. And then you tell them the good news. And they believe. You're like, well, I'm no Billy Graham. Do you want to know something? You can do this better than Billy Graham. Because he's dead. Yeah. And you're here. And you're breathing. And again, going back to what I said earlier, as long as you're breathing, you can, you can share the good news to someone who's lost. You can evangelize. You can see someone come to Christ. But only while you're still, only while you're still breathing. Okay. We baptize along that road. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariots to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So this is a true conversion account. But we don't read what we, what we think we ought to read. We ought to read something like, And he believed, or And he confessed faith in Christ, or something of uh, of that nature. What's actually going on here, I believe, and uh, you know, the old King James had a verse that's no longer included because it's not in the older, oldest manuscripts and so forth. But I think what Luke is doing here, I think somebody had thought, I need to insert that about him coming to faith. I think what Luke is actually doing here is showing instead of telling. Because what do we know about baptism? Well, if he shared the gospel with him and he decides to be baptized, what he's saying is, I believe in Jesus and I want to make that public profession. I want to be identified with Jesus Christ in his death and his burial and his resurrection. How much water was there to, to baptize in? Some people will make more of this than I think is really warranted. Um, I do believe in immersion. I do think that's the best way of baptizing, in my humble opinion, uh, based on what I've read. But some people will say, well, if they went into the water and came out of the water, then there must have been a wa enough water to go over his head. That's not necessarily true. Um, the, uh, the water that they came to would have been a desert wadi. Have you heard of that term? A desert wadi. That's not necessarily a lot of water. I mean, theoretically, it could have been really deep water. Probably it was relatively shallow, probably not unlike the, uh, the good old mighty Arkansas River. Um, but the point is, it's, it's the baptism of a believer in Jesus Christ. It is water baptism. It is a public profession of faith in him. He wants to be identified with Jesus Christ, uh, and so he submits himself to that. Isn't it interesting at this point, just in contrast to the last story we saw, isn't it interesting that Philip doesn't say, now wait a second, I got this baptism thing wrong last time? <laughs> 
you know, I only baptize in the name of Jesus. I'm going to do it right, so I'm going to get in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Or wait, wait right here. I've got to run 60 miles back and get an apostle. Just hang on. I've got to go get, get one to come and lay hands to make sure you get the Holy Spirit. He doesn't do that, does he? he the, the, the cool thing is this story of conversion is so similar to a modern story of, of conversion. There, there is a person who, who God has ready. There is a Christian. The Bible is open. The gospel is shared. The person comes to faith, and they are baptized. The, really, the only unusual part to this, other than some of the supernatural elements like the angel, the only unusual part is there's no church to receive the Ethiopian. That's sad. Kind of sad, because he has to keep going to Ethiopia. There's no church there ready to receive him. But uh, perhaps he becomes the, the founding member of the first church of Ethiopia. All right. There will be joy on that road. The gospel brings joy. It says, and when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went his way rejoicing. I always feel a little bit sad for both of them on the one hand, because I think Philip... Who wouldn't want to be there to disciple someone you led to Christ? Wouldn't that be frustrating to lead someone to Christ? Like you're just on a plane and I mean it'd be really exciting to share and the person goes tell me more and you tell them more and they pray you know to to trust Christ on the plane before you land. That would be awesome. But think of how you'd feel like I got to get them connected. I got to he couldn't do that. There was this you couldn't zoom in and do a FaceTime or whatever the case might be. The Ethiopian went on his way. And yet he goes on his way rejoicing. And I love that. It's not an excuse for us to do drive-by evangelism, but it speaks to the power of the life that begins at conversion. Because the gospel is not simply coming to know certain things to be true. Yes, there is a doctrinal element to the gospel. Yes, there are truths that must be understood and affirmed to really get the gospel. But I love something that John Calvin said, and I know some of you probably don't like Calvin. Most people that don't like Calvin have never read Calvin, but um, try this one on for size. You know, open your mind here uh, to what he said, because I think it's one of the most beautiful characterizations of the gospel. He said that Christ is clothed in the gospel. Don't you love that? Christ is clothed in the gospel. So when we communicate the gospel, we're conveying Christ to the person. The person in believing the gospel isn't just believing a set of thoughts or facts. The person, through faith in the gospel of Christ, is coming into union with Christ. And so this Ethiopian eunuch, yeah, he, it would be great if he'd had somebody there to disciple him. And yet when he leaves there, he doesn't just leave there with a different conviction. He leaves there in union with Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit living in him, and he rejoices in that. There is joy. And then finally, we keep preaching the gospel down the next road. Interesting backstory. You'll, you'll, I hope I remember to remind you of this when we get to it. But... Um, what we find out is, you know, Philip gets carried off, maybe, whether it's a miraculous being picked up and dropped at Azotus is, is kind of debated. There's a little ambiguity in the language. It might just mean that he, that, that he left quickly and ended up there. Probably, though, it's a miracle like in the case of Elijah. But, but anyway, at any event, he, he, the eunuch doesn't see him anymore. He ends up at this place called Azotus, and then from there on, 
he stays on a road, now not to Gaza, but a road to Caesarea. And he gets to Caesarea, but on the way, he preaches the gospel. Now the funny thing is, um, later in Acts chapter 21, Paul's coming back from the third missionary journey right before he gets arrested in Jerusalem, and his last pit stop on the way is Caesarea. And guess who he stays with? Huh? I'll give you one guess, right? Philip. Stays with Philip at Caesarea, so we know Philip must have stayed there, at least made that his home base. He's married, he's got children by that point. Anyway, my point, though, is he's preaching the gospel on that road. So the question is, what, on what road should we preach the gospel? Is it the road to Emmaus? Is it the road to Gaza? Is it the road to Damascus? Is it the road to Caesarea? On what road should we be preaching the gospel? All roads, all roads are supposed to lead to Christ. All roads are where we should be opening our mouth and opening the scripture and opening the gospel. Matthew 28, you know, is the Great Commission. And we often read it, go into all the world and preach the gospel and baptize. Do you know that that the actual language there is going, going into all the world? So the emphasis isn't us saying, okay, I gotta go from here to there. The emphasis is, wherever God is taking me. And God might be taking you to Great Bend, Kansas. And he might be rooting you in Great Bend, Kansas. And you may not be able to escape Great Bend, Kansas. You hear what I'm... <laughs> you may just be stuck here. So what, what should you be doing as you are in Great Bend, Kansas? Preaching the gospel, right? Sharing the gospel. Oh, just to have willing hearts for that. Rise up and hit the road. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking... I would get up and hit the road and head to Perkins if you would just stop talking. (laughs) I will. It's coming to a close right now. But wherever you're going, be open to that. Look for that. God has people prepared. God has you. You're you're capable of sharing the gospel. The Holy Spirit, if you're a believer, is in you, working in you. But have that heart. Have that heart that Philip had of just that, that readiness to preach the gospel. And if you're an unbeliever, we want to just share that with you today. And we hope that you are like the the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, to a point, (laughs) to a point. That you're at least like him in the sense that, that you are humble before God. Maybe you realize you're confused, you're frustrated, you desire, you want to come near to God, but you know that your sins are such that they hold you back. If that is where you are today, we just declare to you that gospel that gospel of Jesus Christ foretold in the prophets. He came into the world as that sheep, that, that, that lamb of God that bears the sins of the world. He died for sinners. He was buried. He rose the third day, and he invites you. He invites you to come and believe upon him and be baptized and come into the people of God, um, and we want to be part of that. We'd like to be Philip to you and, and help guide you if we can. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that that our hearts will be more the heart of of, of Philip where we are just like Isaiah saying, "Here here am I, send me. We want to go. Or even if we're staying, we want to have the heart that is on that road uh, of sharing the gospel with others. And Lord, help us to see those that are prepared. And I know, Lord, that they don't wear a stripe down their back where we can see readily that, that they're just, that they're, 
there and ready to receive. Help us to open our mouths and, and be willing and to be ready and have those people ready for us. We pray, Lord, that, that this would bring much joy in the city of Great Bend um, for them and for this church and for each of us as, as we are faithful in that. We ask it in Christ's name, amen.